Last week, we began a series of messages centered around the Easter theme, and we're going to continue that even through and including Easter Sunday and then the Sunday following. Uh, that's our preaching plan for the month. Uh, today, we're going to focus on kingship, and as we uh, pray, and I've got a couple of things I want you to see, and you'll notice that today we're going to celebrate uh, communion uh, or the memorial service or the last supper or whatever your favorite term uh, for that table is and <clears throat> I think that's fitting uh, for the topic that we're going to be looking at so let's pray together as we ask God's blessing upon his word that it might be sealed to our hearts gracious loving heavenly father we thank you and praise you as we come forward today singing the songs, uh, praying the prayers, uh, coming to you, asking that your Holy Spirit, that your Holy Spirit that is here, that does indwell us, uh, will do his magic, will do his work upon us, in us, in order that we might truly see the message that you have for us even today. And for this we do give thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, he walked out of the room, so I won't do it now. I'll do it later. Uh, Shirley mentioned uh, that at the table, and make sure before you leave today uh, that uh, you pick up uh, uh, several of these. Uh, there is a Redeemer. Uh, this is Daily Bread's uh, Easter Reflections uh, for this year. Every week between now and Easter, we're going to have uh, this, as well as other materials, focused on the Easter message uh, in order that you might uh, better prepare yourselves for your mission in life. And your mission in life, of course, as I've told you before, is sharing the Lord Jesus Christ with others. And this actually should be the best time, the easiest time of year in which you can reach out and touch people with that gracious message. And so I'm providing as much material as I can possibly lay my hands on, and it'll be on those tables, and we'll mention things to you. Uh, certainly, if you want to grab something for yourself that you might uh, have it in your own personal library, well, that's wonderful. But if it's that important, then it's important enough to give it to the next-door neighbor. It's important enough to give to the waitress that serves your coffee at I can't use the name of a coffee purveyor, so I won't. Uh, but, you know, those places where you buy that wonderful cup of coffee for $2. Oh, my, be still my heart. But there you go. Uh, so pick these up. Daily breads are out there as well, of course, for uh, March, April, and May. I've actually got June, July, and August that have been mailed to me already. And I put them in a very special place in my garage so I know exactly where they are, so that when it comes to when it gets to be just about June, uh, I won't be frantically looking for them, uh, but I'll have them to you in a in a timely uh, way. So, this is my redeemer. That's something that, uh, that you'll want to do. Take a look at the bulletin, won't you please? Because the bulletin does a number of things, and I have to admit that if I mean, if you're a regular attender, and most of you are. Uh, 
this probably will happen to you. We kind of get kind of used to what's there and we don't pay any attention. But you should look. Uh, our church staff does a very, very wonderful job of putting these bulletins together every week. And the graphics are there and they usually do a pretty good job of pointing uh, to the message of the week. So just just to be reminded of, well, let's see, what did we do yesterday? What did Martin talk about? Well, the bulletin might very well kind of char your memory. Oh, yeah, there we are. Anyway, our staff did a great job this week, as our staff does every week. Notice how carefully I am. I'm not giving gender. Uh, but you all know who, who, who my staff are, is. Let's see, which one of those should I use? Anyway... Uh, we are very, very pleased with my, my staff work this week. Isn't that a marvelous thing? And then, of course, the prayer requests on the back, and, and we've mentioned those to you. And we work very hard at keeping these as updated as we possibly can. And you can help us with that, especially if one of these is yours, uh, that you can update us on what's going on uh, in, in the situation that we're praying for. Uh, as you know, as I've mentioned over and over again, uh, I pray for you every day by name. Uh, and if I know something about you, and I know something about almost everybody in the room, uh, I pray specifically in that area. Uh, so you got that. And my staff does too. Uh, and you already know who the staff is. Uh, staff's here today. Isn't that a wonderful thing? The staff came to church today. Uh, but the idea being is these prayer requests, prayer praises even, uh, are for you. Shirley mentioned the passing of my uncle. And I think I'm going to do a message about my uncle uh, in, in a few weeks, probably after the Easter season. Uh, there's some wonderful things I think we can learn about the marvelous grace of the Lord Jesus Christ in this kind of biographical sketch uh, that touches uh, my life, our lives, uh, uh, specifically. And probably uh, something that, oh yeah, well, my family's kind of like that too. Uh, anyway, so we're going to be, uh, we're going to be talking about this again. Harold Sorensen uh, was or is uh, my uncle's name. Uh, he went in the army just in time to go to Okinawa, for real. Uh, I've been to Okinawa a couple of times. I call that for practice because there was nothing going on except being over there instead of here uh, when I was there. Uh, so I never shot my rifle while I was in Okinawa, uh, both times. Uh, I did as soon as I got back, back to the rifle range I went. But my uncle, anyway, he's got his stories. And we'll talk about that a little bit as we talk about uh, him uh, in subsequent weeks. So be praying for the Sorensons, please. Uh, he has he has two sons, uh, and they of course have families. He has several grandchildren. I have to admit, I don't remember exactly how many they are, and that makes them cousins. and And names go crazy. It doesn't. It, he doesn't. Sorensen, how, how is that related to Hubbler? Well, you'll get that in the biographical sketch. Surely touched on it a little bit, I think, when she mentioned it during prayer this morning.
But God is working in our lives. And we just did a series of messages about knowing God. And the first item there is talking about God is at work around you all of the time. He's always there. And probably the best illustration of that is when you finally got around to coming to him and saying, Lord, I need you. He said, okay, (laughs) he was right there for you. He was there at that very time. Now, that basically speaks to what? It speaks to the fact that he's there and he's waiting for you. Just waiting for you uh, to come to him. So, so much for that business. Now, let me say something really quickly, and you'll see why I put it in here today. Uh, Oftentimes, we we can lie by omission. Not really lie, but we can lie by omission. And I'm going to do that right now. Uh, now you, you heard Philip play today. Philip is my son. And if I were to announce him, uh, and I'm announcing him now, I could, I could easily say that Philip, our pianist of the day, and you've heard a sample of what he's played, uh, performed at Carnegie Hall in New York. Got that? Wow. Okay, and that's the truth. My sentence is true, but it's really a lie. Because he never played the piano at the Carnegie Hall in New York. He was in a traveling choir from his college, and that choir sang at Carnegie Hall in New York. So did I speak truth when I said he performed? Yes, I did. But I led you to believe that he is a... Carnegie Hall concert pianist. And partly, those of you that have heard him play over the the weeks and months and actually years now that he's played for us, yeah, that makes sense. He could very well be doing that because he does play that well, doesn't he? Thank you, Philip, for being our pianist when it works out for everybody. But lying by omission, we need to be careful of that. You know, is that... Breaking the Ninth Commandment? Uh, We'll have to work on that, won't we? Uh, But uh, he didn't play the piano at Carnegie, but he was there. And he sang on stage, along with about a hundred. The choir was about a hundred? How many? About 400. 400? There were several colleges, three colleges. Oh, I didn't realize it's your, I thought it was just your college. No, no. So, I mean, a whole mob of people got up there, and if you, you had to look very carefully. Oh, there he is. Yeah, that's my son. That one there. The fifth one from the left in the tenth row. Get your binoculars out. That's who it is. Okay. The king. Let's do something right now, and that's look at scripture. So turn to Revelation chapter uh, 19. And I'm going to read a familiar passage to you uh, that's that's going to speak to what we're going to talk about today. Okay, we're talking about the kingship of Christ. And as you, as you look at the Easter situation, the, the Easter story, the Easter season, and the things leading up to where we're going on Resurrection Day, on Easter Sunday, actually, in many ways, it'd be nice to get rid of the word Easter. We're not going to do that. Because Easter has too many secular ideas. 
Uh, it, the word is actually taken uh, from a pagan god, Asterus, uh, and but we don't, huh? Yeah, that was her other name. <laughs> but there, thank you. See my right here. She's got Google in her hand, so we got to watch out. Okay. <laughs> okay. Revelation chapter 19, uh, beginning in verse 11. And I, this is John, uh, John the apostle, John that was with Jesus, John that was at the cross. That's the John we're talking about. And I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse. And he, and the he is going to be Jesus, that sat upon him was called faithful and true. So here we have a person, Jesus, faithful and true. And in righteousness, he does judge and make war. Verse 12, his eyes were as a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew, but he himself. Now there's that, there's a, an, an analogy towards what? A, a crown, a part, how to, where his head were many crowns. Crowns to speak what? A crown on your head, and you think in terms of royalty. You think in terms of kingship. You think in terms of ruling. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Now, I can't help but think uh, back to John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And this verse tells us, And his name is called the word of God. Verse 14. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon the white horses, clothed in fine linen, uh, white and clean. Now, I'll just give you a hint. Who was in the army? All of those Christians that have gone before and are now with him in the throne room, uh, praising him for all eternity. That's who. And that very well could be you and me uh, if we are there and then come back here when this actually occurs in history. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, and with it uh, he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God. Now think in terms of the wrath of Almighty God. I can tell you what the wrath is. The wrath is poured out upon those that have rejected, ultimately rejected, his son. Wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. He that accepts the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved, will be redeemed, will be uh, reconciled, will be adopted in, will become sons of God himself. And those who do not, will not. It's as simple as that. And we can put it in any kinds of other uh, verbiage as well. And then verse 16. And he hath on his vesture, on his thigh, the name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And in my Bible, it's printed so big, I I can do it without my glasses on. Uh, There we are. King of Kings, Lord of Lords. So we're talking about the kingship of Christ And the kingship of Christ is what we're going to see in just a moment in another verse or two uh, that speaks of true kingship. Because you and I, when we think in terms of a king, uh, unfortunately, we're all wrapped up in the physical. We think of kings or 
today's society, it isn't kings that rule, it's presidents that rule, prime ministers that rule, and, and the names are different, but it amounts to very nearly the same thing. Uh, they don't necessarily have the power that kings had because kings have had the power of life and death. You know, if I don't like the way you said this and cut his head off, drag him out. He didn't do what I asked him to do, whatever. You know, a king can be a tyrant. A king can, can do any number of things. King's only human after all. But we here we have uh, the king of kings. King of kings. Just think of that term. Think of those three words. King of kings. So what does that mean? Well, if you break it down uh, grammatically, we're talking about he who is above all of the other lesser kings. All of the kings of the world that we studied in history, the kings that are in reigning order today in whatever country that they where there still is a king or a queen for that matter i guess we got to have both genders in there now uh <clears throat> he's above all of those king of kings king of queens king king of all over all king of kings lord of lords the scripture tells us lord of lords same thing same grammatical setup and the same meaning is pulled from that verse king of kings and lord of lords <coughs> this is a day of kingship every day is a day of kingship a day in which we should remember uh, the Christ that we worship the kingship of Christ in Isaiah chapter uh Uh, 7 and verse 14 it says what therefore the lord himself shall give you a sign behold a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and his name shall be called emmanuel god with us that's a familiar verse that's one of the the big verses that gets used especially at christmas time because of the virgin birth uh, portion of the verse but there it is isaiah hundreds of years before Jesus actually comes upon the earth. So we're talking about prophetic miracles occurring when Jesus is born in Bethlehem of the Virgin Mary and et cetera, et cetera. And is what? His name is Emmanuel, God with us. Emmanuel means salvation. Emmanuel means exactly what God is about. I am the King of Kings. I am the Lord of Lords. I am the Word of God. I am the word of God. Isaiah chapter uh, 7. John the Baptist proclaims an approaching Christ. And in John chapter 1 verses 6 through 14. And I want to read that to you. Here again another another familiar verse. uh, John chapter 1. Right after Luke chapter 24. There it is. I found it. What verses did I say? 6 through 14. And you're familiar familiar with the verse. Verses. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Now who is John? John is the son of Elizabeth. Elizabeth is the cousin of Mary. And so therefore, in a physical sense, in a familial sense, I put it that way, 
John is cousin to Jesus. The physical Jesus is cousin to the physical John. Just as I am cousin uh, or nephew to uh, the uncle that's passed away. And I am cousin to the children of that uncle that has just passed away. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. Now, that's the John we're talking about. See, it's John, the apostle, is writing about John the Baptist. Why was John the Baptist sent? He was sent to provide the light. He came to bear the light. And we all know what that light is. He was not the light, but he was sent to bear witness of the light. And very clearly, of course, the Baptist uh, does that. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Verse 9. And in verse 10, he was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. And the he's there is not John, but it's Jesus we're talking about. It's the true light that we're talking about. I'm not the light, says John the Baptist. I'm not the light, says Martin Hubbler. He is the light. Jesus is the light. He is the Lord of Lords. He is the King of Kings. He is the Word of God. I am but a messenger of that word. You are but a messenger of that word. He came unto his own and his own received him not. Close your eyes and with your eyes closed, look out into the world and see the truth of that verse. He came unto his own and his own received him not. If you go back to John chapter 1 verse 1 and verse 2, it says not only is he the word, but all things that were made were made by him. Flat out, I am the God of creation, says the Lord Jesus Christ. I am the Lord of creation and you are a part of that creation. I created you. In that context, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. Verse 12, But as many as received him, to them he gave power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. That's the heart of it. That's the heart of it. And that is what's going to lead us to what we're talking about today in this idea of king. Because You put your allegiance in a king physically. You pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America, put it that way, and you say you serve your country, and I've served mine in a certain way. You've served yours in a certain way. Uh, Mine's better than yours because I was a Marine. I'll have to admit that. But, But you got the idea. I serve something greater than myself. I put myself in harm's way for this country. And I'm not bragging now. It's just, I was there. I was in Vietnam. People were shooting at me. <laughs> Poor souls, they missed. I learned how to dodge. You know, there it is. Why did I do that? I did that for my country. I did that for my country in serving, well, uh, in serving my president. I guess we could say that because the president is what? The president is the figurehead, the the personification, theoretically, of the country. Now, I don't want to get into politics and start pointing fingers at certain 
individuals here because people are fallible. And we'll talk about some of the kings of the Old Testament, and we can see that even though they had all of that power, not very nice guys. I can think of one. Ahab married to Jezebel. You remember that story. Uh, he was a king. Trying to think of his name. Herod was a king. What did he do? Well, I can think of a lot of babies that didn't make it to their third birthday uh, because of Herod back in the day. Think about the Christmas story once again. So John chapter 1 verse 6 talking about God the king, Christ the king. Paul preaches the gospel of a crucified Christ. John gives us the vision of the enthroned Christ. I already read that to you. I read that uh, in Revelation chapter uh, 19. The enthroned Christ. Where is Christ right now? Christ is in the throne room, sitting at the right hand of the Father. What's he doing? Just sitting there waiting? No. He's there doing what? Providing intercession for you and for me. He's our advocate. He, what is an advocate? He's our attorney, if you can put it that way. Hey God, remember, remember, remember that day back on, on Calvary? I, I paid the price. So this guy gets off. This guy gets off. He is scot free. He is clean. He is white as the driven snow, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Because of what I did. Because of what I did, says the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is who is on the throne. As we see him in a manger, though, and we see him uh, in a temple, we see him at his baptism at the Jordan, we see him on the cross, he doesn't seem very kingly. The wise men didn't think he was very kingly when they came. Where did they come when they came? They went directly to Herod. They went where? They went to the palace. Where do you see a king? In the palace. They went to the palace. And then they showed up and where did they give their, where did they give the bounty? Where did they give the gold, frankincense, and myrrh? Where did they give the gifts, the, the costly gifts that they had brought from who knows where? They gave them to the Lord Jesus Christ. They gave them to the babe, not in the manger, because by that time he was over a year old, and we don't want to talk about that right now either. But that's, that's where, that's where it was. They saw the king in the Lord Jesus Christ, in that humble dwelling that Mary uh, and Joseph were in uh, that year that the wise men visited. Doesn't look like a king, but he is a king. Where's his throne? His throne today <coughs> is on the heart is in the heart of every single person that calls him king. That's where his throne is, and his throne is so terribly, terribly uh, great because of this. And David said this, a scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. That's Psalm chapter 45, verse 6. That's a verse you should look at in its context. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy God's kingdom. Uh, What's a scepter of righteousness? Think about it. It's a scepter of truth. It's a scepter of love. It's a scepter of everlasting life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. John fourteen six. The scepter of righteousness. Because of what I have done, I have sacrificed all physically for you in order that you 
might receive spiritually everlasting life with my Father and I. That is a God of love. That's a God of righteousness that David saw even in his sinly ways. Think about David. David's a king, and he was a pretty good king, but he made some mistakes. Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived, according to Scripture, and I'm not discounting what that was, but as wise as Solomon was, he was stupid. Collected a thousand wives. <laughs> I mean, that you got to be brain dead for that, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And what did it cost? The cost, in a physical sense, was astronomical. Solomon, God didn't take the kingdom away from Solomon, but he didn't allow the kingdom to rest with Solomon's sons. Because right after Solomon died, and the sons took over, and you can read it for yourself, the nation split. That's where we got Israel and Judah. That's where we have the two kingdoms. That's where the two kingdoms came from. That which God meant that we all be together, the 12 sons, the 12 tribes of Israel, all of that good stuff, all of the Abraham stuff, got divided. Why? Because of the sin of Solomon. The foolishness of Solomon. But we have a righteous king. We have a loving king. Truth, love, everlasting love. Christ is the king of that kind of a kingdom. Prophets predicted that the king would serve and suffer as well as reign. And we see scripture after scripture speaks in terms of what's going to happen five, six, seven hundred years from now. Bible years. What evidence does he give of his royalty? Well, when you look at his life, think about his life. His consistent, amazing, regal self-control. Think of all of the confrontations he had with the Pharisees as the Pharisees uh, did what they tried to do during his time. His consistently active goodness, his benevolence like a flowing stream, his mighty power demonstrated through omnipotence. And we, we understand the power. So what are the lessons that we learn in this kingship of Christ? Even though he, from the physical sense he was poor, yet he's a king of this world. He's king of the world. We've never had one of those. We've had several that thought they would like to become king of the world, but nobody ever made it. He's the prince of peace. Prince of peace. That's what he represents. He represents peace. And his victories are by the weapons of peace. And the weapons of peace are what? L-O-V-E, not just on Valentine's Day, love. That's what it's about. We should gladly give to his service whatever he has need of. And what does he have need of? Need is an interesting word. Because we think in terms of the word need, I haven't got it, I need it, give it to me. Uh, But that's not the need we're talking about. God has a yearning that 
Let's see. Let's, I'll think of it in a minute. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, everyone, he would have that anyone, everyone, accept him as Savior. And, and have what? And have the benefit. The benefit is what? Eternal life with him. Eternal life with him. Everyone should have it. That's what he needs. And he's giving you and me the opportunity of helping to satisfy that need. As we reach out. And this is the season for reaching out. (coughs) And this, this ritual that we do, call it memorial service, or we'll play with the names another time. But this is so very, very important. Because he gave it to us. And think of the historical context. Think about the clock ticking. What did you do on Monday? So that you could do this on Tuesday. And this on Wednesday. And this on Thursday. And so on. What? When did he do this? He did this in the upper room. Well, what was happening in the upper room? Why do we call this the Last Supper? Because it's the last time he ate dinner. That's why. He never had another dinner physically. He never ate anything else. And he actually said, this is it. I'm not going to eat anything else until I'm with you in paradise or in heaven. That's what he said. So this becomes very significant. And what did he say? He said, this is my body, which is broken for you. He said, this is my blood written in the New Testament for you. That as you take these elements, as you take these, you do this in remembrance of me. That's what the scripture tells us. That's what Jesus told the disciples, the 11 that were left in the room. And then what happened? They sang a song, marched off to to uh, the Garden of Gethsemane. The Garden of Gethsemane, Mount of Olives. He prayed the prayer, got arrested, went to trial, got himself beat up, etc. And so on. And we'll talk about some of those things later on in another message. But the point is, is that's what this is about. That's the setting for this. I have given everything for you. Even to the point of my body and my blood. For you. Philip, would you? As we take these elements today, I don't want you to think about what's actually in the cup. Is that wine? Did Jesus actually have wine when he uh, gave it? Baptist would swear, and there's that lie of omission, would swear that, and I've I've read wonderful 10-page articles on why the wine wasn't really wine. (laughs) Excuse me. Uh, (laughs) It's silly. And it doesn't make any difference what's in the cup. It doesn't even make any difference that it's grape juice. I mean, I could put orange juice in there. I have a a friend of mine, passed away now, 
that was a POW in Germany during Second World War. And he was there for a couple of years before the end of the war and was freed and all of that business. <clears throat> and he, uh, and they would save uh, drops of the, the greasy water that they called gravy that they were fed every day so that when they celebrated a secret communion together, uh, when, when the Christians in the camp got together and they took this, think about it, this slimy, must have been crusted across the top, got to break the grease off the top. Uh, uh, and they, and that was their communion cup. This is the blood, they would say. And what was in the cup? See, but it's not what's in the cup. It's not what's in this physical cup. Is it really the blood? Is it, was it, is it, was it the blood yesterday when they poured it in the cup and brought it out here today? Uh, does it automatically become whatever it was when they bought it at the store last week again afterwards? And there are churches that believe both of those things. Does it make any difference? It's what you know to be true. That Christ was willing to do what? Christ was willing to allow this to happen to him. This body is broken for you. He was beat to the point that he didn't look human. Scripture tells us. And this is my blood. The life is in the blood. You can bleed to death. You can be perfectly healthy, but if you punch a hole in the body and you drip long enough, you're going to drain yourself of life's essence and you're going to be dead. That's bleeding to death, right? That's simple physical fact. This is my blood that is given for you for what? For the redemption of sin. That's what this is. And when we celebrate, that's all we're, that's what we're celebrating. We're celebrating the fact that Jesus is willing to take upon himself, and I read the scripture already, that the wrath of God might not rest upon me. Go all the way back to Egypt when Moses leads the people out of a captive Egypt and says, put the blood on the lintel of the de- uh, bed, uh, doorpost. I'll be all right. Whose blood was it? Lamb. Sheep blood. Maybe even some goat blood, but they didn't have a sheep. And when the death angel comes by, he'll pass over you. He'll go by you. Why? Because of the purity of the blood that's on the... No. Because you have trusted in me. That's why the death angel passed over those Israelites in Egypt. Because they were willing to put their trust in Almighty God. And the wrath, that death angel has it right here. Here's the cup. And that's God's wrath. That's God's wrath. And, the God, and God's wrath will pour out upon what? On those who have ultimately rejected him. But Jesus has taken upon that upon himself. 
on the cross. He said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? For the one moment in all of history, in all of eternity, before eternity, because God always is, or always was, in all of that time, Jesus and God, God the Father and Jesus the Son, are together, are one. And for that one instant, why have I been forsaken? Why have you turned your back on me? He said from the cross. And we'll talk about that in another message. But that's what this is about. So as we, right now, as we take together, we take the bread and we say, take and eat. This is the body that was broken for you. And we say, take and drink. This is the blood that was shed for you. Why? For the remission of sin. Do this in remembrance of me. Don't worry about what's in the cup. Is it Welch's or is it Stater Brothers or is it doesn't make any difference. Right now, it's a representation of that truth that we have just spoken. So let us eat and let us drink. Let's pray. Gracious, loving Father, we thank you and praise you. We're even going to sing as the disciples were singing after the first communion service. In celebration of you, of your kingship, of your being king of my life. You are the king of my life. I am nothing compared to you. Guide and lead me, guide and lead us as we go forward in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Stand and we're going to sing Faith is the Victory.